Welcome back to the History Behind the Mystery. I'm your host, Shiloh Magaha, bringing you interviews from some of the most interesting and influential people throughout history. This week, we bring you one of the most controversial figures of the Renaissance period. He was a master diplomat, prolific writer, and accomplished politician. His rather dubious ethics have secured him lasting notoriety. If you still don't know who I'm talking about, I'll give you one last clue. Take a look down to the title of the podcast. That's right, I'm introducing you to the one and only intense, interesting, and sometimes considered immoral, Niccolo Machiavelli. Hello, thank you for having me here tonight. We are delighted to see you, but tell me, what's your life story? How did you become the great Niccolo Machiavelli? Well, it all started from when I was born. On May 3rd, 1469, my parents Bernardo and Bartolomea di Stefano Nelli gave birth to me in the Santo Spirito district of Florence. I was born during part of the French invasion when Italy was divided into four rival city-states and it was ruled by the other stronger governments from other parts of Europe. Were you their only child? No. In fact, I was one of four children. I had two sisters named Spring and Margarita and a brother named Toto. Wow, that is a full household. It sure was, but I was still able to be exposed to many things that led to my success today. When I was seven years old, I studied Latin and was able to translate the vernacular into Latin. Then, at age 12, I began to study under the priest Paolo da Ronconcilione, a famous teacher who instructed prominent hum- humanists. Later, I studied under Marcello di Virgilio Adriani, a professor at the University of Florence. And when I was 29, I became the head of the second chancery of Florence, a major diplomat of the city. I was considered quite young to hold the position. Very impressive for such a young man. Now that you're older, what's your family like? Well, I have a beautiful wife, Marietta Corsini. We got married in 1502 and had six children. Sounds like you have a very lovely family. Yes. However, when the Medici family retook control of Florence, as years earlier they had been overthrown, I immediately became a target due to my high political standing. I was, imp- I was imprisoned, tortured, and exiled in 1513 to a property my father had once owned a little south of Florence. Wow, was that the end of your involvement into politics? Not in the slightest. Indeed, while I was in exile, I wrote some of my most famous works. I'm sure you've heard of The Prince and Discourses on Livy. Of course, but could you remind our listeners? The Prince was a book of political theory, how the ideal ruler should behave, Have you ever heard the quote, since love and fear can hardly exist together, if we must choose between them, it is far safer to be feared than loved? Or, perhaps, he who seeks to deceive will always find someone who will allow himself to be deceived. Those are are both from my book, The Prince. I started writing it in 1513. I wrote it to Lorenzo de' Medici. Wait, wasn't he the one who tortured and imprisoned you? Why would you write him a book telling him how to remain in power? So that he could be an effective leader. That's all that truly matters. All the same, it's doubtful that he read the book. I died in 1527, and the book wasn't even published until 1532. Now that we know a little bit about your early life, we can talk about how it led you to do some of the things you've done. All right, so as you are an important person of the Renaissance, what's your legacy? We know you had several famous books, but what lasting impact did they have? I was what some consider the father of modern political theory. Really? How so? Well, before my time, mostly in the medieval period, the common political thought was that it was the virtuous who should and would be leaders. 
Books of political advice highlighted that it was the morally good who succeeded as rulers and left lasting legacies. I take it you disagreed then? Yes, I challenged that train of thought. As you know, through my time as head of the Second Chancery of Florence, I was the major diplomat of the city. I got to interact with many others and see many different types of government and leaders. My considerable experience led me to conclude that there is no legitimate way to decide whether power is used morally or immorally. It is up to those who hold the power to command. Whether someone is virtuous or not is besides the point, and it really doesn't give them any more power than an unvirtuous ruler. Indeed, as my work, The Prince, suggests, it is the morally good who have far less success and power. So, if you aren't for the virtuous ruler, what did you support? Rulers should only be concerned about expanding and maintaining their power. Throughout many travels and meetings, I had the occasion to meet Cesare Borgia, Duke of Valentinos. He was truly much of the inspiration for the prince. How interesting. Well, this seems the perfect time to introduce you to another special guest. It is indeed the famous Cesare Borgia, the inspiration of Machiavelli's most famous work, The Prince. Welcome, Cesare. Tell us a little bit about yourself. In my day, I had quite the reputation. I was the illegitimate son of Pope Alexander VI. That sounds quite scandalous. Perhaps, but I used it to my advantage. When my father became Pope, I became one of my father's principal advisors and was given the title of a cardinal. Not that I was really known for being religious. No? No, I was far more famous for my hunting parties, numerous affairs, and expensive clothing. Oh. I was also the Captain General of Armies of the Church, a position I strengthened with my father's considerable influence. Wait a minute, I thought that that title went to your younger brother. You're right, it did. However, he was quite unfortunately, mysteriously murdered in 1497. As it was known, I coveted his position. Many thought I had committed the dark deed. Did you? Hmm. Well, at any rate, that's not what I was best known for. I wanted to be the Italian prince so that my position was secure even after my father died. In my quest for power, namely the idea of my own state, I fought and conquered many cities and people. I actually met Machiavelli during one of my campaigns in 1507, but I'm getting off track. In 1500, I organized the assassination of my brother-in-law. During a particularly difficult campaign, I arranged a diplomatic meeting with the other side's leaders. During this meeting, when the men were isolated from their own soldiers, I had executed them. Without their leaders, I easily crushed the opposition. I'm starting to understand why people think you killed your own brother. What? Nothing. Please continue. I was at the cusp of reaching my goal when my father died. I also was ill at the time. The new pope didn't particularly like me. I was imprisoned several times and escaped to Navarre, where my brother-in-law, the one I didn't assassinate, was king. I eventually killed I was eventually killed by the rebels there. Well, Cesare, thank you for your time. Your story is certainly very interesting. Back to you, Machiavelli. Why would you base your ideal ruler on that man? He was cunning, clever, and willing to do what was needed to get what he wanted. If his father hadn't died when he did, I fully believe that Cesare would have fully succeeded in getting his state. The problem with the good moral ruler is that there are those who are not good moral rulers, and they are the ones who will get ahead as they are not constrained by morality. Wow, that seems a little extreme. 
Perhaps, but really, my political theory is more political reality. The strong are the ones who succeed, those who can and are willing to outmaneuver their foes. You can't argue with that. So, Machiavelli, we've talked about your early uprising, inspirations, and greatest accomplishments. There's no doubt of the importance you play in society even today. Would you care to explain some of the influence you have on modern philosophies? My work changed Western philosophy and government. The printing press made it easy for everyone to have access to the prints, and it influenced leaders to shift towards a republic-type government. The morals, or somewhat lack of, that I'd written about in my book were considered somewhat disturbing. Ideas like, the promise given was a necessity of the past, the word br broken is a necessity of the present, weren't exactly popular. Some considered me to be an agent of the devil. Pope Pius IV banned my book in 1559. Wow, that must have been upsetting. Well, not really. I'd already been dead for 27 years. Remember, the prince was published posthumously in 1532. Right, sorry. Despite being banned for some time, my work did not fade into obscurity. Far from it, in fact, it simply gained more attention. My dubious intentions were long debated. Some agreed with my realistic cutthroat definition of politics. Some thought I was glorifying immorality, while others thought I was simply being pragmatic. Some thought that the prince was a complete satire. At any rate, my works have had considerable influence. Commentaries of them have been done by Jean-Jacques Rousseau and other well-known political theorists. My work, whether they agreed with it or not, influenced them. That's very true. Whether our listeners read it, realize it or not, they themselves may be implementing your philosophies in their own life. That is correct. My name and ideas also influence the term for personality, Machiavellian. This characteristic is a cynical disregard for morality, a lack of empathy, and a focus on self-interest and personal gain. Many famous historical and literary characters have been attributed this personality type. Fascinating. I'm sure our listeners have learned a lot and won't forget the colossal impact you have had on modern political theory. Thank you very much for joining us tonight, Machiavelli. This has been a very illuminating conversation. I want to thank our sponsor, The History Channel, for making this podcast possible. Many thanks to our supportive listeners, and stay tuned for more episodes of The History Behind the Mystery.